0: Father God, um, we are excited to just come before you, uh, spend some time just recognizing how great you are, how awesome your plan is, and uh, finding out a little bit about what you have to say in your word. God, we just come to you looking for you to open our eyes, open our hearts, um, and to help us just love you more uh, as we get to know you a little bit better. God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this time here on Tuesday nights. Um, God, please bless this uh, and bless this church moving forward uh, as we just want to get closer to you uh, and knowing what you have to say more and more each week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, I have a little more energy this week than I've had the last couple of weeks. I don't know why, um, because this letter is not a fun one. The letter to Thyatira is not a lot of fun. But uh, if you've been with us from the beginning or if you've been listening to the podcast, you know we're going through the book of Revelation. We started in chapter 1. Chapter 1 gives us the outline of the book. John wrote the things that he saw, which is the vision of Christ in chapter 1, the things which are, which are the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, and the things which are still yet to come um, which is chapters 4 through 22 through the rest of the book. So vision, present and future is the outline of the book, and that's what we've been going through. Last week we went through two letters um, to two different churches. went through Smyrna and Pergamum. There were almost opposites. Smyrna was a church that had been through heavy persecution. They experienced just the worst types of of persecution um, and hatred from their fellow man. But they stayed strong, and Jesus had nothing bad to say about them, only good um, for sticking through. But they were the church that thought themselves they weren't doing so well because they were poverty-stricken, they didn't have a lot of money, they didn't have a lot of help. But Jesus said, you are rich because of your perseverance and faith as you move through. And then the church of Pergamum uh, had some good, Not a lot, had a lot of bad. It became sort of a corrupt, the beginning of corruption in the church, really. And the church of Pergamum is the, Pergamum meaning uh, having to do with marriage, it was the church that sort of married the world um, and allowed a lot of the worldly practices to enter into it, a lot of pagan practices. And as we move forward, we will be heading into the church to Thyatira. Now, this will finish up chapter 2. This is probably the only letter we're going to get through tonight because it's the longest letter to any of the churches um, in the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3. This is the church that makes you go, why? So, the seven churches... You can ask yourself, why did Jesus choose these seven churches to to have John write letters to? Why these seven churches? Now, there were some important cities. Um, They were all on the same postal route. They were all in Asia Minor. They were all in Turkey, uh, which is Asia Minor is modern-day Turkey. They're in sort of a horseshoe pattern. They go in order from Ephesus to Laodicea as you would travel along the postal route. So at least that part makes sense. Um, But there were other churches in Asia Minor, uh, most namely um, Colossae, which Paul wrote a letter to, a couple Colossians. Um, So why did Jesus choose these seven churches? Uh, Why in this order? What was going on? Uh, And when you get to the church of Thyatira, that's specifically the one where you go, what was Jesus thinking? Why specifically these churches? Because The previous cities that we looked at, Ephesus was an extremely important city. All roads in Asia Minor led to Ephesus and then back to Rome. So Ephesus was the gateway to Rome from Asia Minor or the gateway to Asia Minor if you're heading from Rome. So it was a major important commercial city. Smyrna was its biggest competitor in terms of trade and market. And Pergamum was the capital of Asia Minor. So even though it wasn't a major trade city, it was a major cultural center. Thyatira on the other hand, not really that important. It was the smallest city, the smallest one in Asia Minor. Um, It's not, as the the other churches we've looked at, they've been in cities that were up on a hill, up on a mountain top. Thyatira was in a valley, so it wasn't a very good strategic city either. It did have a large military garrison, basically because it was so vulnerable, uh, and it stood in between two cities, between Pergamum and Sardis. So, why this little city? So, I don't really have an answer for that, other than if the commentators are right, and the seven churches do represent seven different periods of church history that move us through a prophetic timeline, then Thyatira makes a lot of sense. Outside of that explanation, I don't know why Jesus would have picked Thyatira to write a letter to. Why not the Church of Rome, the Church of Jerusalem, the Church of Antioch, which were much more important during the apostolic time, uh, and were much larger and much more important to spreading the gospel. So. That's the only real answer I have for that, and you'll see some of that as we move through tonight. So that's sort of the background of the city. There is a couple things that Thyatira was known for. They did a lot of trade work. So they had metal workers in Thyatira, as well as uh, a lot of fabric workers. Um, They dyed fabric, specifically, um, known well for their like purple fabric, which would have been very expensive. Um, so that was the one thing Thyatira had going for it. Actually, as we move through our series of acts on Sundays, you'll meet somebody um, who came from Thyatira, Lydia. Uh, so we'll meet her pretty soon in our series on Sunday. So keep that in mind as you're going through this. But she was from Thyatira. But that's really the only claim to fame that they had. <clears throat> now, the thing about their trade work, was that Thyatira was like the beginning of unions. So things that we are used to today, that sort of trade guild or union, started really back back then. And Thyatira had a lot of trade unions. Now, the city itself, as with all of the other cities in ancient Rome and in Asia Minor, there was a lot of pagan worship um, that went along with that And so part of the problem with the trade guilds and the unions was if you were a Christian and you had a a trade business that you were really good at and people wanted your business, um, you could get kicked out of the guild or the union if you didn't succumb to the ideas that the guild owners or, or union workers held. So if you didn't buy into their religious, or political ideals, you could get booted out and uh, basically lose your business. Um, This was actually, this is a practice that uh, was utilized in Nazi Germany as well. If you weren't part of the Nazi party, then your business basically got boycotted and shut down. Um, So that's that's where they got that idea from. This, that kind of financial pressure on people in the city, in the unions and guilds, really started in a city like Thyatira. So there's a little background for you as we move through this letter. So let's let's dig in. <clears throat> this is chapter two, starting in verse 18. Now I'm reading from the New King James, so if you if you don't have that, it might be a little different for you, but uh, it should be essentially the same idea. It starts. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Now remember, one of the things we want to highlight in each church is the name that Jesus gives himself and how that name correlates to something that was part of the vision in chapter 1. So in this, to the church of Thyatira, he calls himself the Son of God, and in, re, in relation to chapter 1, he says, him who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. And during chapter 1, we talked about the fact that the eyes of fire and his feet of, of brass is, is in relation to Jesus' judgment. So already, this letter is getting started off on a point where you're going, this is going to get serious. Jesus is going to have some things to say. So here he goes. I know your works. Love, service faith and your patience and as for your works the last are more than the first so that's the good right so every church there's usually a good and a bad two churches have no good two churches have no bad but Thyatira there's quite a list of good things said about Thyatira so they're a loving church that's good that's what was missing in Ephesus right um service. They're a serving church. They help people. They're filled with faith and patience. And they're filled with good deeds. They have works. And their works are increasing. They're doing more and more good as time passes by. So if you stopped reading there, you'd go, Thyatira sounds great. Like that's a church you'd want to be a part of. However, the letter does not end there. and It gets really long and kind of depressing. So I do want to remind you, when Jesus is writing these letters, he says to the, it says to the angel, which could also be translated messenger or leader. So it could be, this could be directed at the leaders of the church, okay? And so these positive and negative things are talking about the church body as a whole, the whole entity, not the individual. And you'll see Jesus speaks directly to the individual when he talks about the overcomer. So this is talking about the body as a whole, um, and specifically the leaders and how they're leading the church. So nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. So, whoa, this is the bad. He relates someone in the church to Jezebel. So I don't actually think that the name of the person in the church was Jezebel, but Jezebel is an Old Testament character that Jesus is relating to. Similar to how he related the teachings in the church of Pergamum, To the ideas of Balaam. He's doing the same thing here with the teachings of Jezebel. Now, you'll find Jezebel starting in 1 Kings 16, and she's in there a lot. Uh, Just to give a little background on who she was, King Ahab, who was a horrible king in Israel, for political reasons, married Jezebel. And Jezebel was a Phoenician woman from Sidon. And so, This was a political ally, and that was the reason that they got married, which is something they did commonly back then. It's the reason Solomon had so many wives, because he had so many peace deals with other countries. Marriage was a way to contract those peace deals. So King Ahab had created peace with the Phoenicians, and part of that deal was he married Jezebel. Now, King Ahab was already evil. The Bible already tells us this, but he marries... Jezebel. And Jezebel brings with her the worship practices of the Phoenicians. And she brings them into Israel, and she allows, and the king helps coax the people into start utilizing these practices, um, which are pretty disturbing. So, some of what they did was they worshiped Baal. And Baal was uh, an old Babylonian god. And part of their worship was they would have priests and priestesses in their temple. Uh, And the priests and priestesses would prostitute themselves to the people. Um, And Baal was a fertility god. So as they would prostitute themselves during that time, they would be praying for fertility to happen, as well as other things like for their crops to bring forth or anything that had dealt with birth. Uh, and so she brought those practices into Israel. At the same time, the Israelites still had their own priests and prophets. Elijah was the main prophet around in that time, as they were still practicing the Jewish religion, but trying to incorporate these pagan ideas into it. And that was not okay with God. If, you're, if you know the story of what Elijah did, at that point in time, this is Elijah on Mount Carmel. Elijah goes to 450 prophets of Baal. He goes to him on Mount Carmel and he says, you, if your God is real, build an altar and have him set the altar on fire. And so the priests of Baal build an altar and Elijah does the same thing. And he's going to test the real God. And so both teams build an altar. It's just Elijah by himself and then the 450 prophets of Baal. They both build altars. Elijah dumps buckets and buckets of water on his altar. The prophets of Baal, nothing happens for hours. And Elijah starts mocking them, which I think is great. He says, hey, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe Baal is sleeping or maybe he's on the toilet. I don't know. Um, I don't know what's going on. So the priests start cutting themselves and running around and dancing and doing all sorts of crazy things and nothing happens. So then Elijah pours more water on his altar, prays, and it just bursts into flames. Uh, And that was sort of the end of that. He cut down all of the priests of Baal. They were gone. Um, And then from that point forward, Jezebel basically chased down Elijah because she proved that her God was was wrong, but Elijah never dies. Um, Elijah gets caught up in the chariot of fire and heads up to heaven. So that's sort of the story that is being referenced here. Unless they repent of their deeds. There we go. 23. Uh, I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. So the fact that he points out that he sees inside of our hearts and minds is reference to those eyes of fire, right? So he sees what's going on. He sees what's going on with us. Now, there's some disturbing things in this little piece of warning where he states those who fall into the trap of the Jezebel worshipers will go through great tribulation. Now, there's a lot of commentators who think that that means that those those members of the church will not be raptured go through great tribulation and probably not be saved even in that period of time so that's a that's a tough warning and this is sort of where we get there are followers of christ and there are members of churches uh, and they're not always sometimes that's the same and sometimes it's not and what What Jesus is saying here is to the people who are faking it um, and just trying to make a name for themselves or just trying to earn favor, this isn't good. So, I will give give to each of you according to your works. Now, to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, so this is to everybody else, right? As many as do not have this doctrine who have not known the depths of satan as they say i will put on you no other burden but hold fast what you have hold hold fast what you have till i come so for the other group the people that are truly followers the overcomers the people who are really following christ in this church the people who really fill the good parts right because there's the good and the bad the people who are really doing the good stuff and actually following Jesus and really loving him and having faith in him, this is the promise to you. And he says, hold on to what you have till I come. Now, the interesting thing about that phrase, till I come, is it's the same wording Jesus uses in John 14. And John 14 is reference to the rapture. We will get there when we get to chapter four, but it's it's referencing the Jewish wedding. Jesus says, In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would tell you, but I go and I prepare a place for you." And so this is a reference to the Jewish wedding. The Jewish wedding would be, son leaves his father's house. There's a prearranged marriage planned. Son leaves his father's house, goes to his future wife's home, meets with the father, pays the dowry. The engagement is now set. At that point, He heads back to his father's house to prepare a place for his bride. There's an unknown time for how long this is going to take. It's typically about a year, but she doesn't know at all when he's going to come back. It could be a little longer, it could be a little shorter, it's unknown, there's no direct figuring it out. So, as you get an idea that the time is near, you would have to always be ready. And so you're always ready with your bridesmaids, with your family, waiting for the bridegroom to come back, waiting for the groom to come back. So at that point, when he does, the son leaves his father's house again, comes back for his bride. When you see him, if you are the bride, when you see him on his way, you then leave and meet him on his way back and blow the shofar trumpet. And then you head back to the father's house typically for a week um, for the wedding feast. So, this is Jesus. Jesus, the son, left his father's house, paid the price for his bride, the church, and then ascended into heaven. He is now saying, he is preparing a place for his bride. He will come back, but not all the way. We will meet him on the way, turn around, head back to the father's house, the marriage banquet, which should last for a week or seven years, which would be the tribulation period, uh, which is also known as the 70th week of Daniel. So that's an idea. We'll get into more depth on that when we get to chapter four. But uh, just kind of a heads up of where things are headed. So hold fast till I have come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Circle that. That's a big deal, uh, and it will make a whole lot of sense when we get to chapter 4. He shall rule them with the rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. I also have received from my father and will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So Jesus says to the overcomer, I will give them the morning star. What does that mean? Well, at the end of Revelation in chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus calls himself the morning star. So to the overcomer, to the follower of Jesus, you will receive Jesus. So this is speaking to the true Christian, the one who overcomes in the midst of the pagan worship, in the midst of the intermingling between Christianity and paganism. And so, to recap, the title of Christ that he gives himself is the Son of God who has eyes of fire and feet of bronze. The eyes of fire are a reference to his ability to witness what is going on in our hearts, what is going on in our minds, uh, as well as his judgment and the feet of bronze. So, the good the true followers in the church of Thyatira is their love, their service, their faith, their patience, and their good works, which continue to increase as time goes on. But the bad is those who have intermingled pagan worship just like they did in Israel when Jezebel came in. I do want to address this because some churches focus on the wrong part. Of Jezebel. They're all upset that she calls herself a prophetess. Um, And they go off the rails about women teaching in churches and all of that. Let me address that right away. In the Old Testament, one of the judges was Deborah. She led the entire nation of Israel. All right, you see Lydia in the book of Acts. You see Philip in the book of Acts, and his daughters are called prophetesses. So that Let's erase that off the table right away. God will use women just like he'll use men. It's not that she was calling herself a prophetess. It's what she was teaching in this church. And the fact that the leaders of the church allowed the teaching. The leaders of the church were willing and tolerant to have false teaching and sin, not just allowed, but promoted within the walls of the church. That's the problem here. That's the bad. Now, with each church, we've tried to do a few things. One, get some background on the city, the time, and what was really going on in the church. To find out about the the individual church that Jesus was writing to within that time period. So that's why we go over the background. The other thing is to recognize the title of Christ, that it's connected to chapter 1, and how it's connected directly to the church itself. The next part is that prophetic timeline. Now, this one is rough, all right? The Church of Thyatira, um, the actual meaning of Thyatira is perpetual sacrifice, all right? So if where we left off in Smyrna was the church, the, the state church where Constantine became a believer and made Christianity the state religion. Through that, however, with all of the priests and people who already were in jobs that had to do with faith and had to do with the pagan religion, didn't want to upset the king, didn't want to lose their jobs, they became part of the ministry. And so they started to put their practices into the church. And now we've moving on to the next part of the timeline, and now we're in the Dark Ages, right? Right? This would be, if, this, if there is a prophetic timeline to this, this would be the church of the dark ages. Um, this is the church that introduces the papacy, um, which just means Papa. So they have someone who is called the father over all of the church, which is something that Jesus specifically said not to do. Um, so they call anybody father, your spiritual father, but God. Um, and all of the corruption that happened within the Dark Ages. They removed the word from the individual people, and you could only get access to it through the priests and through the ministers in the Dark Ages. Um, They were ruining people's literacy and education and taking the word of God out of their hands, and they started to creep into it false teachings and false idols. And because of that, people were led down a path that wasn't true. So you had the church teaching that you had to pay for indulgences. They introduced the teaching of purgatory. Um, They introduced the teaching of praying for the dead because of purgatory, as if there was some intermediate state, not just heaven and hell, and you could pray for someone to get to heaven quicker. Uh, They started making up writings that weren't biblical, but attributing them with the equal amount of justification as scripture because it came from Rome. And if it came from Rome, they considered it equal to scripture, uh, which is not, it's literally not what the Bible says. Revelation says not to add or take away from scripture. Um, so they were teaching things that were not from God's word. The other part of this was the pagan rituals that got introduced to the church some of which we still celebrate today. So I'm going to point this out, one of them out to you. Um, You can talk about it in your small groups, but this is one that always gives me a little pause, right? So one of the ancient religions that got introduced and intermingled with Christianity at this time was a lot of the Babylonian pagan religions. For instance, they celebrated a holiday in spring called Ishtar. And what they believed was that the queen of heaven would descend from heaven in an egg, and to celebrate that, they would decorate eggs. Does that sound familiar? It sounds like Easter. That's where we get Easter from, and a lot of the practices of Easter. Now, this is where it gets tricky, right? The people at the time were deviating from their normal practices to include pagan rituals. That is clearly not okay. Is it okay now, is the question. I'll leave that to you to answer in your small groups, but my, I'll give you a little bit of interpretation before we pray. The difference is they knew at that time, and there were people who believed in the Queen of Heaven, not God, at that time. We do not. <laughs> Um, so when we are celebrating Easter, we are celebrating the resurrection of Christ, and that is the focus of our worship. Um, but still, I'll leave it to you, do you think those practices should be included? Um, and sort of as a discussion point tonight, just talk about that and work that out in yourself, because there's other things that the church has adopted from those pagan religions um, that we have switched from the original pagan God and now celebrate in the name of Christ, but most people don't know. So with that, that's the church of Thyatira. Let's pray. Father God, uh, I just want to thank you for tonight. I want to thank you for this letter, as hard as it is to get through sometimes. um, God, we know your character and your will. We know that you are love and mercy, and God, we come before you humbly, asking for your love, mercy, and forgiveness um, And so that we can have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus. Um, Through his sacrifice, the one and only sacrifice that does anything for us. Father God, we lift that up to you tonight. We lift this congregation up to you that we would follow you and follow your will. Um, Thank you for giving us a difficult topic um, to really chew on in our small groups. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.